The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to John and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite the congregation to be seated. So during this uh, Advent season, as we prepare for the coming of Christ, one of the things that, that we think about is how it is that we have maybe the right or the opportunity or the privilege to hope for the salvation that God brings to us through Christ. One of the reasons for this is one of the very earliest church conflicts and this is actually something that Paul is addressing in his letter today, is about whether or not somebody who is not Jewish might be able to have hope in the new covenant that God makes with God's people through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the argument goes like this. The salvation that comes through Jesus is the salvation of God who made a very specific covenant with a very specific people, the Jewish people. And it might be okay for these Gentiles to want to become part of us, but we have a means of entry into our church. And that means of entry into our church is circumcision. You know, you think new member classes are onerous sometimes. You know, imagine having to do that. In fact, I, I always promise not to mention this during sermons, and so I'm not mentioning that there is actually a mountain in Israel that in the Bible is referred to as the Hill of Foreskins. Who would mention that during a sermon, right? So I won't mention that, and we'll continue. You know, this is not just the, uh, the means of end, but this is a cultural identifier for the Jewish people. So the reason this was such a big deal wasn't simply because they want everyone to kind of look alike. It was because it's also a way of identifying people who are faithful, people who have the commitment people who have the willingness to commit not only their hearts but their bodies and everything that belongs to them to the new faith that they want to follow in Jesus. Paul's argument is that the real circumcision is not a circumcision of the body, but the real circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. The real circumcision is, a, is one that comes through commitment to the cause of Christ by devoting our lives and our time and our treasure and everything that we have to the cause of the covenant of God, 
not because God is insecure and needs us to love God in order to be loved by God, but because God has given us everything. God has given us every part of who God is down to God's Son. Through this death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new covenant is formed that doesn't rely on our faithfulness. A new covenant is formed that relies on the faithfulness of God. This is the argument that Paul was making. And it's one that, that causes me to rejoice when I hear it because I tend to be somebody, I think I've said before that every group I've ever been a part of, I've always felt like I was kind of on the outside. And to hear this news that there is some place where I belong, there is some place where a place is made for me, there, there is a place where I'm not just on the outside but, and here because people kind of tolerate me, but I'm in a place that was created for me because of the love that God has for me. This is good news. And so I, I say this as somebody who, you know, I even wear a funny collar. I'm, I'm kind of what people would consider most of the time a good church person, right? So, so we have John the Baptist, John who lives in the desert away from everybody, John who comes into town wearing camel hair, which I don't imagine smelled very good, you know, eating locusts and wild honey, which isn't a diet that I would necessarily choose. And I, I think a lot of times when we think of John, we, we have this image of John as kind of this lonely country priest who comes out, of the, comes out of the desert and talks to a small crowd of people here. There should be in there, is there a picture this week? There is in here. Oh, it doesn't show. So what you might see is John is standing somewhere over here. And I tell you, if you Google John the Baptist to look for images of him, a lot of the ones that come up are Renaissance images, and they're a little bit... I couldn't put them in church, but I encourage you to Google them and, and see what's there. And, but if you look, you'll also see a big crowd of people. And what this tells us is something that's really important, is that this wasn't just like a country priest coming to preach in front of 11 people. There were people who came from all across the countryside of Judea. They would walk hours to come and hear John the Baptist preach. This was an event. This was a cultural event. This was them. It might not have risen to the level of football, but, you know, I guess for, for first century Palestine, this is football, right? So, so when John is preaching, what he's expecting to see is normal people coming to hear him preach because he's tending to preach a message that you wouldn't necessarily preach on for them Saturday mornings, for us Sunday mornings, because it's a message that talks about a way of understanding God that is a little bit different than what the Jewish temple would talk about. The Jewish temple often talked about worship of God and following God involving strict adherence to laws, which John is okay with the law. But what John was talking about is something that runs deeper than simple obedience. John was talking about a gospel that's rooted in repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is a fundamental change in our understanding of who we are so that we might turn toward the things that God is telling us about who we are. And so this resonated so much with the people because I have a feeling that people then were a lot like people today, that the people needed to hear that they too have a place that they too have a space where they belong, that when they hear about the love and acceptance of God, that it means something different than just if you follow the rules that God loves you, but that perhaps God loves us always and anyway. 
And now John also wasn't a feel-good preacher. You know, you hear what he says in the, in the Gospels. John is someone who is, I think, a law and gospel preacher, which is what we preach in the Lutheran church. We preach law, that which convicts us, that, that which calls us to the foot of the cross, that which holds up the mirror to us and helps us to see the places where we are broken and sinful and in need of help and in need of forgiveness and in need of this new covenant that God is making through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a people who preach the law so that we might be able to see those places where we are broken clearly. And we preach the gospel where if the law is the because you are broken, the gospel is therefore through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are able to experience the unique love that comes through that in this life of faith. And so in, in this, as one of the good church people, the reason I find this message of John so compelling is because it forces me to face the truth about who I am, that I am somebody who has that brokenness. I am somebody who has that sinfulness. I am somebody who has that need of redeeming. I am somebody who lives in, you know, whatever it is the human guilt is that we normally live in. I don't think I'm the worst guy that's ever walked the earth. But believe me, there are days where I recognize my brokenness. And this, this gospel of repentance allows me to live into this gospel of forgiveness. And so while John might have been really surprised that he saw the good church people, the Sadducees and Pharisees show up, it doesn't surprise me a bit because those of us who are often exposed to the, to the demands and the judgments of others, we need grace so much too. So John, though, isn't about to let them off the hook quite so easily. John says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, I, I hear this, and as a child, I love this verse because, you know, you brood of vipers, that's, that's pretty strong language. That's salty for a kid to hear, right? And then I started focusing on, you know, like, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How, how is this repentance something that you need, you who are often so seemingly self-righteous? Think of the way that people talk about church people sometimes in our culture. You know, when, when they do the Pew research about how people view church people, it's often not very positive right now, right? And so when we start to see that even the good church people are coming out to seek this repentance, all of a sudden we begin to understand that something different, something exciting, something new might be happening in the hearts of the people who are hearing this word of God. You know, and ultimately what John begins to preach is the very thing that brought those good church people out because let's face it, sometimes the message we get from our cultural religion is that, you know, if, if you're one of the good people, then you're going straight up. And if you're one of the bad people, then you're going straight down. And, and I think this kind of black and white reading of what gospel and goodness is, is part of what causes us this kind of, this injury of what it means to be part of the church in our culture right now. This, this obsession with the law, this obsession with morality, this obs and I think morality is good, don't hear me saying I don't. But you know, this obsession with like always doing the right thing and never getting anything wrong. You know, how many good people have we seen in the news who have something that they've done bad in their lives and all of a sudden we can't utter their name anymore, right? Just because they're human beings. 
there is a different way. And it's a way that I don't know is immediately obvious to those of us who didn't grow up working with, working with grain, working on a farm. You know, I didn't. I grew up in Irmo where, you know, eggs come from the store. They don't come from chickens, you know. And, and so this idea of the winnowing fork was always one that was a little bit inaccessible to me. But a winnowing fork is something that looks kind of like a pitchfork. And apparently what they do, I watched YouTube videos of, videos of this this week, is they scoop them up, the grain, and they throw it up in the air. And then the wind will catch the chaff, which is the junk that you don't want to bake into bread. And it'll blow the chaff away. And I found some really neat videos of people who had, who had winnowing fans where it, would, where it would throw things up and the fans would blow away the light stuff so the heavy grain would remain. That, to me, is not a gospel that says, you know, either you're in or out. That, to me, is something that talks about this fire and the unquenchable fire that will burn away the chaff that John talks about in a little bit different aspect because this fire that John is describing in the process of winnowing isn't something that burns up the whole thing. It's something that burns up that within us which we wish would go away anyway. When we talk in the, in the confession about being captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, it's those things in our hearts, those things in our bodies, those things in our personality, those things in our, in our lives that we feel are binding us that we cannot get rid of. Those are the things that get burned away that leave the part of us that belongs in the kingdom of God. And we all have those things. And we all have that need. And we all have that yearning for that space where we can feel like not only do we belong, but we're worthy to be there. The, the fire of the Holy Spirit with which Jesus baptizes is not a fire that consumes us whole, but it's a fire that refines us and purifies us and leaves behind that which is holy. Like all fire, it burns. Like, like all processes of growth, it hurts. And like every situation in our lives, we're, we're called to grow. It's a little bit scary to think about. And that's where we come in this week to that second Advent candle, the faith candle, where in the darkness of our brokenness and our worry and our, our guilt and our shame and our fear, the light of faith burns in our hearts, the light that we didn't kindle, the fire that was stoked by our Creator. How this week can we rejoice in that light in those times where we feel like we're wandering in the darkness? How this week can we be that light for the people we encounter? Amen.